All right, I see Children's Church making their way out. Thank you. Thank you for my children's workers. Amen. Take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. As we get back into our Hebrew text. This uh, passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at this morning, I'm just going to let you know up front, it's been deemed as the second most difficult passage in all of Scripture. I know you're wondering what the first is. Hebrews chapter 6. Both subjects are the same in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10. I think the better way to say it is it's actually not the most difficult passage. I think it's the most misinterpreted passage. It's probably the, the better uh, of, of when it comes to looking at this text. Uh, and you'll see and understand why as we read through this. And, and, and when you go back and look at the Hebrew 6 passage in your own time, you'll, you'll see again... Why these two verses, uh, these two sections of Scripture are misinterpreted. And it deals with the subject of eternal security. Now, I can understand stepping back and looking at it with spiritual eyes why this is where the enemy's assault would be. Because the enemy does not want you to rest confident in the finished work of Christ. Because if the enemy can get you and I doubting, planting seeds of doubt within our heart, this is the same tactic he used in the beginning of time. Did God really say? Did he really mean that when you did, you would surely die? So see this for what it is. It's a spiritual battle. And this is why as we go to the Word of God, it's vital that you and I rightly divide the Word of truth. Because in rightly dividing it, it should bring to our hearts great encouragement. If you are here today and Jesus Christ is truly your Lord and Savior and you have truly been born again, you are secure in the Father's hands. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. But this is also, in the book of Hebrews, one of the warning sections. And this is probably one of the strongest warning sections in the New Testament. And so it's important that as we hit this this morning, you allow the Spirit of God to bring conviction to your heart and life, and you heed the warning, lest you neglect so great a salvation. This is going to be a hard-hitting section but it needs to be 
the writer of this is pleading. And guys, when souls weigh in the, in the balance of eternity, it's important that we get it settled. And if you're here today, and it's not settled, then I plead that you get it settled before you leave here today. Hear the warning of Scripture, because it's a very serious warning indeed. Notice, if you would, in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 26 and following. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot. How much more, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing. And insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now, the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Gracious Father, I pray that you will fill me with your spirit, that you will give me your thoughts, that you will give me your words, and that your Holy Spirit's presence would be 
very much in our midst in conviction today that you will draw us to right standing because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That we will be shaken as unbelievers and as believers to the importance of who Christ Jesus is in our response to His invitation. Lord, have Your way here in these services today. And may the end result truly be Your name lifted high. May You receive all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. This message is entitled, The Perseverance of the Saints. Perseverance of the Saints. As believers, that is one of the true markings of a born-again believer. That they persevere, that they endure to the end. Again, a lot of the problem in the discussion of people losing their salvation is because we know people who did not endure. Well, I remember Johnny, he used to be so faithful in church and he was on fire for Jesus and now he's gone. 20 years now, he's back at the liquor joint and he's boozing it up. He lost his salvation. No, Johnny was never saved to begin with if he continues in a lifestyle of practicing sin and he's not chastised for it. This passage of warning is dealing with people who have heard the truth and rejected the truth. The question that we often struggle with in defining this subject is because I think the reality is a lot of people raise up in the church and they go out. They never truly were born again. Jesus talked about it when the sowing of the seed. Many will grow up and begin to show some promise. Looking good, nice and green, going to be a good crop this year. Nothing ever comes from it. Cares of uh, the, the thorns choke it out, the cares of the world. The sun beats down on it. It doesn't find root because the soil is hard. But then there's the one who brings forth much fruit, a hundredfold. Guys, Jesus has made this clear to us that in the sowing of the gospel seed, there will be many that it will fall on fertile soil and they'll produce much fruit. And then there are others that will give a seeming promise. They look pretty decent at first, but they weren't truly born again. There's no fruit there. There's no life. Those branches are good to be broken off and thrown in the fire, to use another example of Christ's illustration. Jesus has warned that the wheats and the tares will grow together until the day of harvest. So it's not strange to think about that right here in our presence today, in this gathering of believers, are non-believers. And the sad thing, and the reason this warning is so powerful this morning, is because there are literally some who think they're okay because they've grown up in church or they've gone to church all their life and they have this outward appearance of goodness, but they've never really been born again. And unless you are born again, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
The Spirit of grace and the Spirit of God is being offered, but we best not trample underfoot the blood of Christ. That's what this warning passage is about. So let's take it apart and let's understand it in its context because context, context, context is key to biblical understanding. All right, we're going to recap chapters 1 through 10. Jesus is superior. <laughs> wow, why didn't he preach that from the beginning, right? That was a short, sweet sermon. But look, that's what chapters 1 through 10 is all about. Jesus is superior. He's more superior than the Old Testament prophets. He's more superior than the Mosaic law. He's more superior than the uh, lineage of, of Aaron and the priesthood. He's more superior than the old temple practices, the old tabernacle practices, and all of those types and shadows that were there were pointing to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is superior. What the writer of Hebrews has been saying from day one is this. Those Jewish people, because remember the audience of three, the Jewish people who wanted to embrace those Old Testament ways of doing things, those mosaic, mosaic laws, we need to do these things. It needs to be Jesus plus if we're going to even have Jesus. But I think we need to go back into these uh, old way of doing things. Those people were rejecting the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And they wanted to hold on to the shadow instead of the substance. Then those in the middle, that group that was one foot in, one foot out, they, they, they sat in the church services, so to speak. They've sat in there, they've heard, they've tasted of the goodness of God. Their heart has been prompted to respond to the message of Christ. But for whatever reason, religious pride, afraid of what others might think, who knows, they did not come to the saving knowledge. They were not committed unto Christ. They were not born again, as it were. But week in, week out, they had a seeming presence. They had been enlightened. They had tasted but never eaten. And many of them would reject the truth. Because you know, an indecision is a decision. Young people hear me. Young people hear me. An indecision is a decision. Well, I'll do that later when I'm older. I will commit, I will, be more, I will be more surrendered to Jesus when this happens or when that happens in my life. Or no, 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 gang. Listen, today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow we do not know if we will have tomorrow. God has given us today. Don't put off responding to the grace of God. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Simply surrender to the Spirit and the grace of God that extends His love to you and says, Come! Jesus is superior. Well, if you're taking notes, let me give you the outline. Point number one, rejecting the truth. We're going to look at this in verses 26 through 31. Then we're going to look at recalling the trials in 10.32 through 34. And then we're going to look at rewarding the tried in 10.35 through 39. Warning. Do not reject the truth. 
Do not reject the truth. Rejecting the truth is what the writer is hitting on here in these passages. Look again. He says in verse 26, For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Sin willfully. If we sin willfully. Literally this translates willing, go on sinning. What's his point? Remember the audience. The Hebrew reader has been presented every argument as to why Jesus is superior. And what he is saying here in this passage is... If you walk away from Jesus Christ and go to anything else, there is nothing else to go to. There's no other sacrifice that can be made. Jesus is the only way. So if you willingly know this, and they knew this, they had the Old Testament oracles, They they had the Old Testament passages. The writer has been arguing through the Old Testament passages saying this is why Jesus is the way. This is why Jesus is the way. This is why Jesus is the way. And so if they know that and they knew that, decide, "Mm, yeah, but they are rejecting the truth. And therefore, there is nothing else that can be done. There's nothing else that can be done. They are rejecting the only way by which they can be saved. So, if we sin willfully, and by the way, this is a specific sinning. This isn't, uh, and again, this is where people misinterpret. Well, you know, what is the unpardonable sin? Oh, what if I, you know, does it mean if I do this or if I do that? Or what about this person who's done this? Or what about the person who's done that? Guys, this is a specific sin. Notice, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, they have been given the truth. And they're refusing through the hardness of heart to surrender to that truth. And that is no different than what's happening in the Bible Belt and across many churches around the world today who, where people are sitting in under the teaching of the truth of the gospel but they continue to go on willfully sinning. In other words, they continue to, well, I, I, I just, I'm not going to commit fully to that. I, I'm not going to really surrender. I, I'm not, I'm not going not to quite let Jesus have that part of my life. There's this unwillingness, and what in essence is happening is unbelief. Go back all the way to what's been happening in this passage. Remember, we go back to Hebrews 2, and he talked about how they did not enter into the rest in the promised land but they shrunk back. Remember, they, they didn't believe they could, they could do it. They just they doubted God at His Word. These Jewish people are doubting that Jesus is truly the way. And so if they continue to willfully reject that and want to go back into their Old Testament sacrifices, there is no sacrifice. There is no bull, there's no goat, there's nothing else that can be done. And yet in our churches today, we kind of do the same thing where... 
if you're not careful, we have this popish declaration of, I said a prayer, therefore I'm okay. And I have this seeming okayness about my religious walk. But have I truly been born again? Have I come to a place of, of brokenness over my sin and truly cried out to the only name given amongst men under heaven by which to be saved? And if I have, then where am I in my standing today? Because the Bible teaches, the New Testament teaches that if I am truly a child of the King, I can only dabble in sin for so long before I am miserable, I am being spanked, I am being persecuted. So let me warn you this morning, church, if you are involved in sin, in a practice, and you are not being chastised, you better hear this warning. We are playing with certain judgment, certain fiery indignation. This is the Scripture's language. This is not to be dabbled with. Examine yourselves. See if you're in the faith. It's a warning. And it's one of the most powerful warnings in all of Scripture. Because many will come to Him in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? Didn't I do this? And he'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. But I walked the hour, I walked to the altar in the just as I am verse. On the fifth time it played. I, I prayed the prayer the preacher told me. I did it verbatim. In fact, I asked him to repeat it so I could say it just like he said it. Guys, walking an aisle doesn't save you. Repeating a prayer doesn't save you. It might. Some of you have been born again through that method. That's wonderful. Praise God. But salvation belongs to the Lord. It's an issue of the heart. They receive the knowledge of the truth. But yet, they, he says, if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. They reap judgment. This group he's describing, they reap judgment. It's described as fearful. It's described as fiery. And it's described for the foes. Notice verse 28. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? Do you see what the writer just did there? Remember his audience. It's a Jewish, predominant Jewish audience. He's saying, look, y'all want to stay under that Mosaic law system? Think about the Mosaic law system. With two or three witnesses under the Mosaic law system, it's, it's, it's death. It's death. You've been given the witness of the truth. 
Jesus Christ Himself has testified. God the Father through the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit whom they have been illuminated by and tasted because they've been in the church service. All of those have testified to them. And if they reject that, and you talk about a blood sacrifice, you want to reject the blood sacrifice of God Himself and reject His only way of salvation? If you want to do that... How much worse the punishment? He's saying, look, it's going to be worse than death. It's going to be worse than death. It's appointed unto man. He's already said this just last last chapter. It's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. So if you're sitting here today and you're hearing the Word of God, you're hearing the truth that Jesus Christ came into this world to seek and to save that which is lost. And that, guys, we have a sin problem. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we we are all sinners and we are in desperate need of salvation. We need somebody to reach deep into the waters of sin and pull us out. Jesus Christ has done that for you. Through the shed blood on Calvary, He's made an atonement for our sins. He has purchased our redemption. But if we reject the only lifeline and we continue to swim away in willful sin, away from the only thing that saves us, the cross of Calvary, there is no hope for us. And I believe this is what Romans 1 speaks of when it says that they ended up Worshipping the creation over the Creator. And it says He gave them over to do what they want to do. Do you realize that if you continue to harden your heart, God will let you go? Now, that's not a loss of salvation. That's a you didn't take the lifeline to begin with. So He's going to let you swim on. You want to go that way? Keep going that way then. says he will give them over. The reprobate mind wants nothing to do. They justify. Just as this Jewish audience was no doubt justifying the rejection of Jesus Christ. So, what about this? What about this rejecting of the truth? Well, there's some scary realities when we, when we think about this. Guys, I believe... The reality is no man knows where that line is. God knows. And if you're playing with fire, you will get burned. There is a possibility that, just as there's a mark here on this floor, a line, I believe there is a spiritual line that if a person continues on willfully rejecting Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation, that at some point they cross that line And God lets them go. And we're going to find out in Hebrews 12 that there was one such as Esau who it says he sold his birthright for for a morsel. And then afterwards he wanted to repent and there was no repentance found. Though he sought it with tears. Judas, no doubt after he betrayed Jesus, had remorse to the point that he went out and killed himself. 
What if, just going to pose a hypothetical until we get to the 12th passage and begin to dissect it a little bit. What if, just a hypothetical, what if, spiritual, what if, what if you sitting in this church today, today is that last day for you to respond and you step across that line and a week from now you decide, you know what, oh man, I need to get right with Jesus. that possible? The fact that it might even be a possibility ought to be reason enough that today we get it settled. Now, spiritual teaser, we'll talk about that. Can you send away your day of grace? That's the question we will hope to unpack later. So, stick around. In the meantime, Notice what the text says. Verses 28 and 29. It's interesting here because what has he done here in this passage? If you've been studying along with me, what's his whole dichotomy been? Old covenant, new covenant. Old covenant, Mosaic law. New covenant, the blood of Christ. And so here you see the contrast. He lays it out in verses 28 and 29. The old covenant versus the new covenant. The Moses, Moses law versus the Son of God. He's been establishing that Jesus is superior for 10 years chapters and once again he's showing it in the in the form of punishment how much greater is the punishment moses law handled it this way how much more is the blood of christ when it's trampled underfoot how much more when uh, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing an insult to the spirit of grace now i know what some of you are thinking right now well, I thought this, was, this passage specifically right here was dealing with unbelievers. Yes. Well, then why did it say they were sanctified? Look at the, look at the again. He said, if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth. Wait a minute. See, they've received the knowledge of the truth. They've been born again, right? No, 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 no. See, this is where we Jesus. This is the problem with the misinterpretation. You pour that meaning in there. That's not what that's saying. Remember your audience. He's already gone through this. They've been illuminated. They have tasted, but they've not eaten. Just like in our midst, there are people who come into churches all around North America and all around the world who hear the gospel. Sometimes they stay in there a lifetime. They are benefited by the blessing of the body, the overflow. They have been illuminated to the truth, but they never really surrender. They taste, but they don't eat. They have received the truth. They know Jesus is the only way, but they want to go back into their mosaic practices. That's what this is dealing with, guys. The full context of Hebrews gives us this very clear. So if we step back and see this really clearly, this is about those people who hear it, taste it, but never have surrendered to it. But wait a minute, it says they were sanctified. Only a believer can be sanctified, right? Oh, can they? Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Everybody go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. And let's go to chapter 7. And let's look in verse 14. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is what? Oh, say it loud, is what? Sanctified. 
sanctified. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Now, if you know the context of that passage, again, what has he been dealing with? He's been dealing with, Paul's been talking about, you know, and you get this over in Peter as well, when you have a believing wife who's married to an unbelieving husband, she's to stay if he doesn't want to leave because the uh, chaste life uh, is, is, is an overflow in hopes of him seeing that and being convicted by that and the Spirit of God using that to bring him into the saving knowledge of Christ that he might be saved. And so here you see a similar effect that when you have a believing wife with an unbelieving husband, he receives benefit and blessing by the overflow of her life, right? He receives some of that set-apartness because sanctified in pure definition is being set apart. Guys, when you gather here on Sundays, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, you are set apart from the world. And many people who grow up in the church, and many of this Jewish audience who are in the, uh, the recipients of the Hebrews letter, they were set apart in their gathering, and they were receiving benefit of the overflow of the believer. So they've heard the truth, though they reject the truth, they are being set apart, sanctified, in that they, they were um, a testimony as a group of gatherers, whether they were believers or unbelievers, and were no doubt benefiting from the overflow of the believer. Therefore, just as we find in the 1 Corinthians 7 passage, it's not a stretch that that's what is in definition here. And in fact, I, I, again, when you go back and look at all of Hebrews, you think about those Israelites who, who no doubt came out, came out of Egypt, went through the parted waters, they got to the point of entering the promised land, and then they fell back. Which, by the way, what happened to those guys the next day? Yeah, we can take them. Let's go back and take them. We can do it now. We've, we've got courage. Uh-uh. Too late. So they were left to roam the desert. Do you understand the significance of the warning that he's been giving us through illustration from chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way through to this point? There's five warnings altogether in the Hebrews passage. If you want to do a study sometime on your own, hit those, hit those warnings. So what's the point? He's pleading. He's pleading with them. He's warning them. Notice what he does here in verse 30. Again, knowing his audience, he uses some of Moses' writings to appeal to them. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Oh, well, wait a minute. It says right here he's going to judge his people. Well, a couple of thoughts here. Number one, in the Old Testament, he referred to the Israelites as his people. Was every Israelite truly saved? No. They were circumcised. That set them apart. But even though they were circumcised, Jesus told some of them, you're not of your father Abraham. If you were, you'd do the works of Abraham. You're of your father the devil. 
So just because they're in a group of believers doesn't mean they are true believers. By the way, interesting, take, hold your spot here. Let's go over to Deuteronomy 32 because I want to see this in context. Remember, context dictates, not just, you know, a fly in the wind. We want to know what the context is. What was the original audience? What was the point? Who, who was he talking to? And then how does this bridge over the great gap of culture to where I am today so that I might draw those same principles and truths that were true to them are also true for me in application? So in doing that, Let's look at Deuteronomy uh, 32 and look in verse um, 35. This is where the Hebrew writer is quoting from. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come hasten upon them. For the Lord will judge His people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone. Who's he talking about in that context? I offer to you, he's talking to two different people. He's talking to the enemies of God and he's talking to the servants of God. I believe he's doing the same thing in this Hebrews passage because he's getting ready to make a transition in the letter. And so he says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's for those who aren't heeding the warning. That's for those who want to go back into Judaism. Those are the ones that are rejecting the sacrifice of Christ to go back into the Old Testament sacrifice principles. Those will be the enemies. Because he's just told us that it's a certain expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. But he also says here that the Lord will judge His people. And the New Testament does teach us that judgment begins at the house of God. And so he goes on and he says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Again, no doubt, these spence-sitters are being compelled and argued with. No doubt, there's a plea for them to surrender, commit. No doubt, guys, even when I preach today, when I preach to the church audience, I say things like, Behold, the day is the day of salvation. Well, if you're a believer, that doesn't apply to you, right? But I'm talking to the church audience. Why? Because I know in the midst there are some that are not believers. That's what's happening in the letter as well. He's writing to all three of the people that are in the midst, just as I am preaching to all three of the people that are in the midst. And so, we see the warning of rejecting the truth. I'm going to pause it here because there's much more to talk about. 
the recalling of the trials, as we'll get into. And no doubt, if you're facing trials, if you're in the midst of tribulations and sufferings, you want to be here. There's some encouragement to be found here. Great encouragement. And then we'll look at last, the rewarding of the tried. Perseverance of the saints. The idea is that we endure the hardships. As good soldiers, we recognize that when we committed our heart and life to Jesus Christ, by His grace, He saved us. By His grace, we are born again. And He holds us secure. This message is not to create doubt in the heart of a believer. And as we continue to unpack this text, you will see it hopefully even clearer than ever before that there is great confidence in your profession of faith. There is great confidence in your possession of faith. And your faith will be strengthened as a result of this passage. This passage leaves us in two paths. And I believe a lot of times it was put uh, believers in an undue uh, prison of fear because they've misinterpreted it. And so it creates the eternal insecurity. But I believe when we properly understand this section of Scripture, it creates great confidence in Christ and His finished work and gives us strength for our journey that we might endure the race, keeping our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. So we'll look at that, Lord willing, in the days ahead. If you're here today, maybe you've grown up in church, maybe you've made a profession of faith, but there's not a genuine possession. You've never been born again. In this closing moment, I want to plead and beg with you to simply in the depths of your soul and the depths of your heart surrender your life to Jesus Christ. He's done the work for you. There's no work on your behalf that's sufficient. His sacrifice alone is the only sacrifice that is acceptable. But you know what the beautiful promise that He offers you is? He loves you. And He's demonstrated His love to you. While you were still in your sin, He died for you. Because see, He's a present God. He knows your present situation. And yet He still loved you enough, knowing who you are, where you are, who I am, where I am, to pay for that sin. For all eternity. Once for all. Will you by faith repent from the sin? Don't willfully continue on that path because it could be today that you cross that line. When the ark door shut, and the rain judgment began to fall. I imagine a many a souls beat on that ship, begging and pleading, let me in, please! 
And God had closed that door. And only God could open that door. Guys, the salvation door is open today. Don't let it close. Tomorrow may be too late. If the grace of God is reaching out to you, by faith turn to Him and fall upon your knees and cry out to the only name under heaven by which you can be saved. Jesus Christ desires that no one perish, but that all would come to repentance. Repent of your sin today. Before it's eternally, if you're struggling with your walk, your faith, myself, Pastor Nate, Pastor Dean, Dr. Shook, many here who are willing to help come alongside you, to encourage you, to help you, don't walk this alone. God has placed the fellow believers beside you to help you, not to judge you, but to come alongside paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the, the, the term itself. He's a comforter. And as other believers, we are to be that person in the midst of struggles to come alongside and help. We're here if you need that. And if you're struggling with doubt about your salvation, this message is not intended to talk you out of what God has done. Find strength. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. These things I've written to you who believe that you may know you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. And you may continue to believe on the name of Jesus Christ, the only one who gives you that faith. Find confidence in Christ. Find confidence in the finished work of Calvary. He's made you a promise. God cannot lie. Cling to that promise. Thank you. I hope you'll be back tonight. If you need to talk about it, I'll be in the back. If you want to set up a time, we're here for you. I love you. And I pray that uh, you will meditate on this truth throughout this week. And let's go into a dark world who needs this warning, who needs this message. Father, this is a warning passage and I pray and I, I pray that all the saints in this room will desperately call out to you in this moment that if there be any soul here in our midst that today they will get it settled, that they can be born again, that they can experience the new life, the new birth that's being offered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the new covenant that's extended. We are in a day of grace, but how much more the punishment if we trample underfoot the grace that's been extended. Father, I pray that if there is a soul here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that in this invitation, in this moment, Lord, they would do business with you. If that's you, then I invite you today Repent, turn from your sin. That word simply means to forsake your sin, turn from it. By God's grace, He will give you the strength you need to put that sin behind you and you can march in a new direction. God's grace is sufficient. Turn to Him today and ask for the forgiveness that you desperately need. Believe 
that Jesus Christ is the only sufficient sacrifice. Believe that He came to seek and to save that which is lost. Believe by faith that He offers you salvation. And believe His Word when He promises that if you by faith receive Him, to you He gives the right to become the child of God. And by putting your faith and and believing in Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation, you can confess Christ as Lord. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of your new way of life. Don't be ashamed with your husband. Don't be ashamed with your wife, because now you recognize that the, the pornography you've been looking at, you no longer need to look at. You're putting it behind you. The sins that have been so easily besetting you, you're laying them down at the cross. Those things that have been tripping you up, you're no longer going to be tripped by them because of the grace of God. You want to follow after. You want to pursue the righteousness of God. It's time to stop playing games with God and it's time for us to surrender our life before a holy God and pursue Him. This is the relationship He calls you to. Let Him be priority in your life. Let Him be the love and affection of your desire. Let Him be first. Repentance, belief, confession. And to God be the glory. In Jesus' name.